kind of get through the day or whatever. No, no, no. That was good. I don't know. I, I'm telling you right now, I don't know many bands and praise teams can pull that off like ours can. That's amazing. You guys are awesome. I love you. Uh, all right, before we actually jump into the sermon, um, I, would like, I would like to have all those who are presently in the military or have served in the military, please stand up so we can just recognize you. Why don't you stand up for us? little side note here. Um, first, thank you so, so much for your service. Um, I mean this to the depths of my heart. I so appreciate you. And I make sure that I teach my son to have respect for those in the military. And when we're in the airport, um, when we're out and, and I see someone in uniform and I know they're in the military, I make sure I go up and I thank them in front of my son and I encourage him to do the same. Because we're missing that. We're starting to lose that a little bit in our country and that can't happen. I, I would not be able to be up here preaching and you would not be able to be in here, sitting here, listening to me preach and worshiping God and enjoying all that we enjoy if someone didn't sacrifice to make sure that freedom is kept. And so we love you and we so appreciate you, not just on Memorial Day, but every single day. Now, as we enter into our sermon, uh, I want to show you a video clip as we kick it off. I mean, too, the poor little kids tell me eat their Halloween candy. But, you know, sometimes I think we act like kids when, when it comes to showing grace or extending grace to those who've wronged us. You know, you look at the first few kids there and it's like, that's how we as adults sometimes act toward those who've wronged us. Instead of expressing grace, we express anger and that disappointment and we never, we, never, we never give the grace out. We never extend that grace. So how do you react when someone falls short in your life? Are you willing to allow people, the people around you to fail? I find it amazing sometimes that we as Christians love to sing about grace and read about grace and talk about grace and write about grace and preach about grace and teach about grace. But we don't do a very good job sometimes extending grace to those around us, especially in our own family. Sometimes we fall a little short when it comes to extending grace to people that we should show the most grace to. I think the best way for us to learn how to extend grace is to study the Father in heaven and how he extends grace and love to his children, us. How does he do that? When we study God's grace, the first thing that we learn is that God's love, his grace, his love is unconditional. It is not based upon my performance it is not based upon my behavior. In Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, a passage familiar to many of us, it says this, For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith, and that is not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not by works that no one can boast. It's God's grace extended to us. I didn't earn it. I didn't perform to get it. God gave me that grace based upon his love for me. Dick Halverston, former chaplain of the United States Senate, said this, 
There is nothing you can do to make God love you more and nothing you can do to make God love you less. What a great theological truth that is. That is true. When we have a relationship with Jesus Christ, there's nothing that we can do to make God love us more. And there's nothing that we can do, believe it or not. And some people are sitting here saying, I just don't believe that. Based upon my experience in life, I just don't believe that. But it's true. There's nothing you can do when you have that relationship with Christ to make God love you less. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 7 reminds us this. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. God's love is based not on what I do, but based on his grace alone. It is not based on my behavior. It is based on his grace. What a great gift. What an incredible feeling. To know that God loves you that much. That you don't have to perform for him. In other relationships, it's not quite the same. We hear a different message. The message that we usually hear is, uh, I'm loved more if. I'm loved more if. If I'm good. As a child. I'm loved more if I'm good. I'm loved more if I, I meet your expectations. You'll love me more if I continue to meet your expectations. But the moment I no longer meet your expectations, you'll love me less. And that's just the reality of most of our relationships in this world. You'll love me more if. And it causes such strain strain in our relationships. The result is that for most people is that they start connecting love with performance. And for children, that's not a very good thing. As parents, we need to clearly communicate, clearly communicate that we would be pleased if you would receive good grades in school. And we would be pleased if you would do well in this activity or that activity. But it is not going to result in how much we love you. We're going to continue to love you regardless of how your grades are, how, how well you do in, in school. We're going to continue to love you regardless of how well you do on the field or on the court. And I know none of us mean to do that, but sometimes we, we kind of express the idea and we'll love you more if. And as parents, we need to make sure that's not what we're communicating. We cannot allow them to confuse we as parents being pleased with them as children being loved. I may not be pleased with my children all the time, but they need to know I love them all the time. And nothing's going to change. Nothing's going to change my love for them. Even though when I'm pleased, I'm not pleased, it's consistent. That love needs to be consistent. And when they fall short, I'm going to extend grace to them. Because what happens sometimes is, People need, not sometimes, all the time, people need to know they can fail. They need to know they can fall short. They need to understand when they do fall short that we're not going to reduce our affection for them. We're not going to reduce our love. And they're not going to be kicked back to the starting point. 
You know, sometimes in relationships, when someone makes a mistake, it's like, okay, now you have to start all over again and, and, and redeem yourself, in a sense, in my relationship with you. And until you do these things, you know, you're going to kick, get kicked back to the beginning. So whenever I make a mistake, I start over again. You know, and forget children right now. You know who can't stand that the most, in my experience as a pastor? Men. Men, men don't like this at all. Men actually hate it when they're working to grow in an area of weakness only to have all their gains lost when they fall short. Now, something's pointed out and they start to work on that and they start to work on that and they get, they get maybe a month or two or five or six into it and all of a sudden they, they, they mess up in that same area and boom, they're knocked all the way back to the beginning emotionally. I cannot believe you did that. And you have to start over again. It's like that game Aggravation. Anybody remember playing the game Aggravation? It's, I think, the one with the marbles. In aggravation, the goal is to move all your marbles around the, the board and to get all of them home safely. The problem is there's other people playing the game. And you're right at the end and your marbles, like right at the you're going to win the game. And someone pushes that button and the guy comes up and his marble lands on your marble and you go right back to the beginning. It's aggravating. I'm getting aggravated just thinking about it. It's aggravating in the game and it's aggravating in life. It's more aggravating in life. When you work hard at something, make a mistake, and have to start back at the beginning. When we fail to show grace, when someone works hard and then falls short, we communicate that only perfection is tolerated. Only perfection is anything less than 100% is unacceptable. And when you do that, understand something. What you're doing is you're creating a group of liars around you. You're creating liars around you. I'm telling you something. We create people who would rather take the risk of deception. They would rather take the risk of deceiving you and maybe getting caught than to admit failure, to admit they were wrong and face the consequences of being knocked back to the beginning, having to start over. They know if they come forward and admit their failure, what's going to happen to them. So they'd rather take the chance of being deceptive, of being liars, instead of experiencing what they know is going to happen, the lack of grace that will be extended to them, and end up telling the truth. People get all worked up about their children or their spouse or their employees lying to them. But have you ever maybe considered that you are helping to create the helping, not completely, it's your fault, but maybe you're helping to create the dynamic of that relationship. Maybe your, your attitude of overreacting to make sure they never do it again. And you know you do this in your mind. You overreact to what they've done because you're going to make sure they never do it again. And when you overreact and you make sure they never do it again, it's unhealthy and unproductive. You do not get the results that you're looking for. People go into hiding. People try to avoid it. People be, become deceptive. People become liars. You don't get what you're looking for. That internal, intrinsic transformation. You get an external, how do I get around this? How do I figure out how not to tick this person off? Because I know at the end of the day, I'm not going to be extended grace. So therefore, and here's the problem. You're not perfect, so you're going to keep messing up in different areas. So then how do you survive that relationship if grace is not extended? People, here's the amazing thing. And I, we're all, we should all raise our hands. I am not preaching at you at all. 
But it's amazing how we make people feel condemned when the Bible says, therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. They feel defeated when Christ rose in victory for their mistakes, for their sins, and for their failures. I think it's somehow we, 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 as, as if Jesus died in vain or he died for my mistakes, he died for my failures, he died for my sins, but not for yours. And I think somehow, sometimes, that's how we communicate. We may not mean to, but that's how we communicate. There is nothing more opposite of the spirit of the New Testament than the spirit of perfectionism. There's nothing more opposite of that in the New Testament. The spirit of perfectionism. The Bible is clear and understands the nature of man and our weaknesses. The Bible clearly understands, God clearly understands our weaknesses and our nature. Not confused at all. In Psalm 103 verse 14 it says, He knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. God is well aware of our limitations. No one is fooling God. He is completely aware of our limitations. David says in Psalm 100 verse 3, Know that the Lord is God. It is He who made us and we are His. The pe- we are His people, the sheep of His pasture. We are creations of God. He is the Creator. We are the created. He is infinite. We are finite. He's superior. We're inferior. God understands all that. God is aware of that. We're the ones who fall short, but God ends up taking responsibility for his creation. He created us, but we have to realize that even though God created us, we have a free will. And according to that free will, we can choose our own destiny. We can rebel against God. We can be disobedient to God. But even in all that, even recognizing all that, God looks down on us and says in Psalm 103, verse 13, As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. God has compassion. God is a God of compassion. He understands our limitations. He understands our limitations with mercy and his response to our limitations is Jesus Christ. That's his response. That's his mercy. That's his grace. That's his love. He understands our limitations and he responds with the grace of Jesus Christ. He knows that through Jesus Christ, we can become more than who we are. We can overcome the limitations of our own nature. God knows that. He wants us to become like His Son. And He gives us, through His Son, the ability to do that. In Romans chapter 8, and verse 29, it says this, For those God foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of His Son. Conforming is, is, is something that happens over a period of time. It's not something that happens overnight. God allows us, God gives us those baby steps. He allows us to conform. It's a process. Conforming is a process, not a boom, I happened, now I'm I'm perfect, now I can just move on. That's not going to happen until we get a glorified body in heaven. And so we need to follow God's example when it comes to interacting with each other. We need to follow his example and how we extend grace and how we extend love. Seeing each other as the sinners that we are, fallen short, we make mistakes, but we're all in this together. 
He extends grace to us. We need to follow his, his example by extending grace to each other. Paul understood this full well. He says in Philippians chapter 3, verse 12, I love this. Not that I have already obtained all this or have been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ has taken hold of me. We need to show that kind of understanding and that kind of grace to each other. In order to help you deepen your understanding, as we've talked about so much in this past the Stronger Relationship series, I brought some books outside, and they are at the Welcome Center if you'd like to look through them. Um, I have the cutest little granddaughter on the planet. Her name is Lorelai Willow. She's my little love bug. And I get to share her with grandparents who are here today. And she will tell you it's true. She's the cutest little love bug around. And... Um, she is right in the middle of our grandkids. We've got two boys, and then Lorelai, and then the twins. And Jen has shared a little bit about some of Lorelai's struggles. She's also shared um, in a blog, if you're interested in reading it, which is really sweet, just how what the Lord is teaching her through the, the struggles of Lorelai's health challenges. But she struggles with some vision issues. So when she's in an unfamiliar surrounding, she can't tell the difference as the colors and the textures change, whether there's a depth change. So her depth perception's off. So in other words, if she sees black here, she can't tell if she's going to fall or if it's level. So we were at the warehouse a couple weeks ago for Liam's birthday party, and she stood at the door, and she was coming in under the awning. And right there, there's big black carpet, and then a piece of concrete. And then at the door, there's the threshold, and then there's the wood floor, and then there's another carpet. And she stood there frustrated because she didn't know what to do. She couldn't tell. There were so many changes, and she would not walked through that herself before. It was unfamiliar to her. And when she can't figure out what to do, generally she drops to her knees and feels her way. Well, this day she stood there and cried because she was so frustrated. And with her hypotonia, she has low muscle tone. So sometimes she'll get stuck in places. So in a shopping cart, for instance, she'll get a little askew and be stuck, but she can't get the muscle, she doesn't have the muscle strength to pull herself back out. Or her little leg will get stuck in the crib. And you'll hear the cutest little thing. I talk when she gets stuck. It's so cute. Now that she's getting older, she adds, help, I talk. So this is what she said when she was standing there, standing there with all these things in front of her going, I talk. And she started to cry and Jen scooped her up and carried her inside. Well, in that building is the warehouse with the wood floor and then the cub has concrete and the gym is an entirely different floor. So when she was trying to leave the warehouse, again, she was on the wood, then there was a carpet and a piece of the wood and then the concrete. This was just to go, you know, just a couple feet. So Jeff came alongside of her. And didn't hold her hand or anything, just stood with her and showed her and slid his foot across to show that everything was level. And they walked slowly, and every time they got someplace else, and she would stick her little foot out and slide it too. And I thought, that's such a great lesson. Sometimes when we're facing something that's really difficult or a challenge for us and we can't see what to do next, we need somebody to walk alongside of us and to show us the next steps. So I want to share a few next steps with you. And the first one is to enlist the help of someone that you trust. If you need to be extending grace to somebody, who is someone that you trust that could talk to you about this? Who's someone that would give you good advice and could ask you the questions that would help you in growing in this area? Over 20 years ago, we took Kim and Jen on their first missions trip. I don't know if you remember Hurricane Andrew hit southern Florida. At the time, I think it was the most devastating hurricane. I think over 60 people died. And my aunt and uncle lived in Homestead, so I had been there every year. And they survived the hurricane in the bathtub, amazingly. Um, and... So when we, when we decided to do this, we did this with our singles group. Okay? Kim and Jen were six and four. 
And I thought, here's a good plan. Let's pack a 15-passenger van with a six-year-old, a four-year-old, and 13 singles, or whatever, 12 singles or whatever, and drive 29 hours to the south of Florida, because that sounds like a good idea, right? <laughs> and it's their first mission trip. So as a mom, I was very aware, trying to keep them, you know, fed, enough water, hydrated, to keep them engaged enough. And I, did, you know, I just want to make sure that it worked, my little kids, with the singles mission trip. It was 142 degrees or something in the south of Florida. <laughs> Humidity was 7,000%. And they set up these makeshift camps in the scrubland. And what this means is there's one solid building. And then, I don't know if you're familiar with like the pine scrub of Florida, but there's a lot of snakes there, and you know how much I love snakes from this series. If you don't, there's a CD you can listen to. And they made these little um, platforms that we slept on. On. It was the weirdest setup for someone who's not a camper. But you have a platform, and all I kept thinking about was all the snakes that were under it and everywhere else, because on this, in this camp was a zoo. Do you know what that was? All the snakes they had found around and put in tanks so that you could go look at them. I'm like, this is great. All your relatives are just waiting for me. I mean, I, I know what's happening. And you can't even sleep on the ground. You have to be up on this wooden platform with this tarpy-like structure. And something was holding it up. I don't exactly know what it is because I don't build things like that stuff. And so something was holding it up. And the fire department decided that you needed an exit door out of the tarp. So the tent tarp things had two slits like this so you could fall out or rain could pour in or whatever. It was really hilarious. So one night we're sleeping. Men, women, and children, you're all in the same tent. You know, you're keeping crazy hours. You're sweating. You're eating. Whatever. And let me tell you, not a single human being on that trip has had a drop of Tropicana orange juice since then. Because when you drink a single-serve bottle of 90-degree Tropicana orange juice, you don't forget it. That was your liquid for the week. It had been given, donated by Tropicana, which was lovely. But there's no going back from that. There's just no going back. So we're laying in bed one night, and it is like around midnight. And it's really hard to explain to your six- and four-year-old that we're down here to help for hurricane relief. And the debris literally is two stories high for miles. I mean, it's unreal. Everything is gone. There's nothing taller than me in, in, for miles and miles and miles and miles and miles. And so I'm telling them we're here for this destruction caused by rain, wind, and thunder, you know, a hurricane. And all of a sudden, there's a thunderstorm. And so our structure is going, it's probably wood, right? The rain is pouring in our emergency exits. And all 15 of us are like, we're just sitting there. And I'm just thinking, how bad is this storm going to get? And we're on the top bunk, and Kim and Jen, we push the bunks together. So we're sleeping on the top, Jeff and I, and the girls are underneath, and everybody else is spread about. And all of a sudden, I hear one of them, and I don't know who said it, I'm afraid, Daddy. Like two seconds of silence. We're all afraid, children. <laughs> of course, everyone busted out laughing, and then we like, took another hour to fall asleep again get, or get calm and quiet again. So this whole time, I'm trying to like, you know, keep them engaged and have a good time, and the truth is they were awesome. They were super flexible. I'm telling you, those single girls made more potty stops than my four-year-old and my six-year-old, so I was in good shape. And they were conspiring one night, way late. I mean, way past bedtime. They're over in the corner of this building, and they come over, and they stand next to each other. Do you think maybe we could share a grape soda? I don't know if you're familiar with grape soda. It's like the most deceiving thing out there because you hear a fruit in the name. It's like the most sugary thing on the planet. 
You know, it's like 50 grams of sugar in a can of soda. And so Jeff looked at me for a minute. We exchanged a quick glance and we're like, and he says, you can both have one. <gasps> they were so excited. I mean, he gave them the money. They giggled. They ran all the way over to that thing. They ran they sipped every sip, you know, until midnight. It was really good going to sleep that night. But they sipped that little soda. I mean, just savoring every little bit because it was this crazy. You've got to be kidding me. This was not in the plans. I don't get grape soda way after bedtime. And it was a just because. That's the beauty of grace. Grace is all about just because. You know, I think in our society, there's some things that contribute to us trained, that we're kind of more trained to critique a lot. When you watch TV, there's a whole lot of competition on it. And there are people are vying for all kinds of things, and we just sit back and we judge right along with them, right? Nope, not so good. Yep, that was all right. Oh, you could improve here. And then we are presented with so many options in so many things. So we're making judgment calls and we're comparing things. And I think sometimes that attitude spills over into our relationships and it complicates things. So we look at things and go, well, this deserves grace, but that doesn't. Or he deserves grace, but she doesn't. Mm -hmm. And the truth is grace has nothing to do with deserving, nothing to do with earning. It's just because. It's just because it's midnight and you get a whole can of grape soda, 50 grams of sugar, just because. So number two, I want to encourage you, look for grape soda moments. Enlist the help of other people that you trust. Look for grape soda moments, just because. I want to help you um, look for opportunities to teach your kids what grace is. When they're not expecting it, give them grace. Don't give them the punishment that they earned, that they deserve. Give them grace. Catch someone needing a break. If you're a parent, you want to be talking to your kids about their besetting sins, the things that trip them up. We all have those things, the things that we struggle with and, and things that we don't struggle so much with. If you're working on a particular area, if your spouse is, if your kids are, catch them doing a good job at that. Catch them, help them, celebrate their success. And if there's a minor slip-up like Jeff talked about, let your first impulse be grape soda. Give them grace. Mm. Number three, give others a do-over. If you've had tweenage and teenage girls, this is a mom's best friend. Give your others a do-over. Anybody else verbal like me? I mean, things fly out of your mouth and you're like, no, make it come back. <laughs> right? When you're verbal, it's a great thing, but sometimes not always. Sometimes a do-over just gives you the opportunity to go, yeah, that, that's not what I needed to do. And it gives you a chance to correct it or gives the other person a chance to correct it. It also is a less combative way to deal with it. It's easy to say, let's have a do-over. You're acknowledging, hey, that's not the way we do things. But then you get the chance to correct it and make it right. Mm -hmm. Lorelai, look at that face. You know, she's the um, other grandchild that we've talked about with a strong will. And we talk all the time in our family how grateful we feel that the two kids with health challenges have the strong will because they have the will that they need to get through their challenges. But, you know, Liam is our little expressive, strong-willed little guy, and Lorelai is a little more quiet, a little, little less expressive. She's a little bit more like her mama and her Grammy, and hers is more like a resolve. So she pretty much stays like this when she doesn't want to do something. She looks like that, and when you ask her to do something, she just looks at you and smiles. So cute. He goes, no. She just backs up and shakes her head. No. No. Like, I'm resolved to not do what you're asking me to do. It's the cutest thing. She knows what she wants, and she knows how to tell you. I was babysitting on Friday night for Jen and Drew's anniversary, and I had hurt my back. And so at bedtime, I have this, the little routine down. You know, you have to sing the lullaby and rock and everything. And so... This is what I do because Jen did not inherit her singing from me. Jen sings la la Lu to her every night, and this is what a Grammy does. La, 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 la. 
And then I kiss her. Right? You just have to do what you have to do because I can't disappoint her. So that's the next best thing to Jen. Well, she saw Lilla Lou coming on, which I don't know if you can see, but it has a little picture of Lady in the Tramp. And she said, off. No, off. She's trying to push it off because, you know, she's one and she knows how to work an iPhone. And so <laughs> we're kind of still figuring it out. We've had ours for a year. But she's looking at me and goes, no, off. Well, I had hurt my back, and so I had to get Pops to come and lift her and put her down into her bed. And she was like, this is party time. This is not bedtime. Pops is here. Josh is here. Grammy's here. We are not going to sleep. I turned her fan on. No, off, off. She's looking at me like, are you not getting the message? I'm telling you what I want. And I turned the little nightlight on, the little owl. Off. She's hilarious. So she's called everybody she could for about an hour. And then finally you hear, hi, Tinker. She found Tinkerbell in her bed and started talking to her for another hour. So I got her into bed. <laughs> she didn't go to sleep for two hours, but I got her into bed. So when she doesn't want something, she just says, no, no, no. Clear as a bell. No, no, no. Three, in case you were unsure the first or the second time. No, no, no. And when Jen asks her to say she's sorry, it is the funniest thing you have ever seen in your life. Now, the first time I saw this, I think that we were out, and I think we laughed, and we were, like, shaking so hard because we're like, are you kidding me? She, Jen will say, Lorelai, say, sorry, Mama. And she looks at you almost forlorn and barely moves her lips and breathes. And they kind of hang open. Like, they don't even meet to make an M for Mama. It's the funniest thing. Two seconds ago, no, no, no. Turn that off and... And you're like, are you kidding me? So they have this little battle to try to get her to verbalize it, to say it out loud. It helps that she's so stinking cute. I mean, and when your grandparents, it's terrible. Because the things your kids did, you know, you're like, you need to apologize now. <laughs> and you're like, she's so cute. <laughs> We laugh, but the truth is we're like that so much in relationships. We know we need to be saying something. And we sit there and breathe out. Oh, I'm sorry. Right? You barely breathe out your apology or... I forgive you. I sort of kind of forgive you, right? We're exactly the same way. The truth is we need to just say it. And that's number four. Just say it out loud. When we're struggling to do it, just do it. When we have been wronged, a lot of times we hold on to that. When we've been let down or disappointed, we, we hold that. And the truth is what we need to do is just say, I forgive you. I'm sorry for my part. That's the reality of the majority of arguments. 99.9%. You're wrong somewhere. Maybe not the beginning or the middle, but probably towards the end. Most people don't do this perfectly, argue perfectly. I need you to talk to me about this. I want to resolve this. Or ask good questions. What's wrong? How can I fix this? What do you need? The last one, the, probably the best lesson we can learn from the little Miss Lorelei Willow, is if, like Lorelei, you can't see how to get from here to there, if you don't know the next steps on how to forgive, or how to apologize, or how to help, drop to your knees. Drop to your knees and pray and ask God that you would be so amazed by his grace that you couldn't keep it for yourself. As we close out, Deb's done a great job, hasn't she? Kind of helped me out this whole series. Uh, 
Uh, as we close here, you know, I just want to say it is a mistake um, to not give each other the right to fail, the right to fall short, because it's in those times where another person fails where you can express your love most effectively, isn't it? And honor our Father in heaven and our Lord Jesus Christ. And it's in those times where people fail and where they really fall short that people can understand the grace and forgiveness of God. It's, it's a place where we can share with them, with, whether it's our children who fall short or our husband or our wife or our friends. When someone fails, when someone falls short, it is the greatest opportunity that we have to express God's love and God's grace to them. And to share with them the extent of God's love and God's grace. You know, when your, children does some, your child does something wrong, and instead of getting the punishment they deserve, you extend grace and explain why you're, why you're doing it. What a great learning experience for them. And it's really through failure that people learn some of the greatest lessons in life. Am I, is this not true? It's not in the success we learn the greatest lessons. It's not in the success we grow the most. It's in failure where we grow the most. We learn some of life's greatest lessons. So what an opportunity that we all have to interact with each other, to show each other how much we love each other, to show each other how much God loves us, and to help each other grow in our relationship with him and our relationship with others and just how to interact in the world around us. These are great teaching moments. We cannot miss the opportunity. It is through failure that God moves. So we need to give each other grace. We need to allow the other person, we need to give other people the ability to fail, to fall short. Because it's in that, it's in that that we find the opportunity to reflect the love of God to people that we work with, people that we go to school with, and most of all, people that we live with every day. Let's bow our heads. Father, thank you for this incredible time that you've given us as a church to spend together in your word through this series. And God, we pray with all of our hearts that we would apply, that we would truly, especially this sermon, Lord God, that we would apply this to our lives, that we would forgive those who we feel have wronged us, that we would extend grace to them, extend that love to them, extend that mercy to them, just like we want it extended to us. And Father, we'll be sure to give you all the praise and all the glory for everything we know you're going to do in advance. We praise you for it now. In Jesus' precious and holy name, amen. Have a great, great day.